Well, as I prayed and was seeking the Lord and he placed this on my heart, I just sensed that this passage is just a great reminder for us today. It's something that we need to hear. Well, what we're going to see tonight is that we have a living hope. Our hope is not circumstantial. There are certain things in life that are circumstantial, but our hope in Christ is not circumstantial. It's not based on the situations that we face in life. Our hope is rooted in Christ. And through him, what we're going to see also, we have an inheritance. We have an inheritance in Christ that's being reserved for us right now in heaven. Is that not amazing? And what we're going to see is this is always a reason for rejoicing. You know, we get caught up in situations and circumstances. And you know what the first thing to go is? Rejoicing. We're so focused on ourselves, we're so focused on the things that are going on, and we forget we always have a reason to rejoice. We have Christ. What more do we need? And it's amazing. We're going to see that we can rejoice in the sorrow, in the trials, and that we, we face various trials in this life. And we have a Savior who loves us and whom we love. And through and, and, and though that we, we don't see him now, one day we will in glory. And that too is a reason to rejoice. Let's go ahead and read our passage. Verses 3 through 9. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To what? To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if needs be, you have been grieved by various trials. That the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it be tested by fire, may be found to the praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, Receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. That's encouraging, isn't it? I feel like I don't need to say much, but I will. But it's really encouraging, isn't it? I mean, if we were, as we're going to begin to break it down, man, this is the place to go. In times like these, to encourage 
our hearts to remember, to reflect upon all that we have. So here in verse 3, what do we see? We see Peter starting off in the most appropriate way, doing what he's praising God for his abundant mercy towards us believers who have been begotten again. It's to say what? To be born again to a living hope. Our hope is alive. Why? It's simple. Because Jesus is alive. Because Jesus is alive, our hope is alive. And Jesus is seated in this moment at the right hand of the Father. How can we not be grateful? We have a God that so loves us and has given us the hope of eternal life. We have the hope of eternal life. Every day, do you realize, we draw closer to the completion of our salvation. Our salvation is not yet complete. Every day, we're one moment closer. And so for me, it's saying that our hope becomes more beautiful each and every passing day. Because we're drawing one moment closer to the completion of our salvation. You know, look at the world. I, I mean, how many times over have we seen hope for certain things fade? We hope that we can do this. We hope of attaining this. And over time, or sometimes when people attain that thing, and they get there and they go, ah, this is it. We as believers, we have a living hope because we have a living Savior. That's amazing. I mean, we live in anticipation of being face-to-face -face with our living and loving Savior. And that only makes our hope grow. It should make us long for the day when we see Him. I mean, are you living in that hope? Are you living in that reality daily? That one day you'll be face-to-face with Jesus? Because that, that's what I, I'm living for it. Everything around here is all fading. But not my Savior. And it's going to be marvelous. What else does it say here? Let's continue. Peter reminds us here in verse 4 what? That we have an inheritance, incorruptible, undefiled, that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you and I. It's reserved in heaven. We have an inheritance. Not only do we have the living hope, Christ, we have an inheritance. I mean, listen, an earthly inheritance can be corrupted. An earthly inheritance can be defiled. An earthly inheritance, guess what? It can disappear. There's no guarantee. 
Right? We've all heard these stories of family sitting around the table, somebody's dying, and they're like, I wonder what I'm going to get. And then they find out it's given to somebody else completely. What? We have an inheritance where? In the heavenlies. Our inheritance is in heaven, and it's being watched by whom? God. It's being watched over by him until the day we arrive. This means nobody is touching our inheritance. God's keeping that for us. He loves us. He has something he wants to give us when we arrive home. We're going to have an inheritance. And, it's, and for me, I, just, I began to think about it, and I go, that's incredible that God, the creator of the universe, has something special set aside for me when I arrive in heaven as if eternity isn't enough. Is that not, I mean, ponder that thought for a minute. You'll arrive to be in glory for all eternity and there's something special, an inheritance for you as his child. That's incredible. So he says we have an inheritance. And then he continues in verse 5 saying, Who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Look at what the first part of that verse says, verse 5. We are kept by the power of God. And the word kept is an interesting word in the Greek. The word kept in Greek, it's a military term. And it means to guard, to protect, or to be shielded. And the verb tense implies in action... That is constantly happening. And so what's, what, what it means is that we are constantly under the protective eye of our Heavenly Father. It says it's by His power, not by your power, not by my power. I can't keep anything by my power. But we are kept, we are shielded by the power of our Heavenly Father. Which means there is never anything that enters our life that finds our Heavenly Father sleeping. Nothing happens without Him seeing. Our Heavenly Father is there and has His eye upon us 24-7 until we arrive safely in heaven. You know what's amazing? Is not one of his children is outside of his care. He has no favorites. There's no partiality. All of his children, he's constantly watching all of his children because he loves us all the same. And what it says here is that it is our faith in Christ that has united us to him and that his power now protects us and it guides us. 
The salvation here that Peter is talking about, and I think it's important, is he's talking about our glorification. When we first place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we are justified. And right now, as we continue to walk day in and day out, we continue to grow, be sanctified, grow in the likeness of Him. But one day we will receive that completion of our salvation, which will await us in heaven. And that's what He's talking about here. He's talking about our glorification. He's looking to this in the future. Well, let's continue. Verses 6 and 7. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if needs be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to the praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so what we have here in verse 6 is what Peter's looking back. To the previous verses, that he rejoices in the fact that uh, of God's abundant mercy has been poured out in our lives, that we have a living hope in Christ, and that we have an inheritance that is waiting for us in heaven, and that we are being kept by his power till we arrive home in heaven. And he goes, in these things, you always have a reason for rejoicing. But then he goes on, he goes, though now, for a little while, if needs be, you have been grieved by various trials. And the various here isn't talking about the quantity of trials. It's talking about the different type of trials that we may face in life. And what we learn here is that there is a specific time and purpose of every trial we go through. And for me, that's great news. That's great news. That every trial has a purpose. And anything we may endure, God has a greater good for us in mind. I mean, that, that can help change your perspective. When you're in the trial and you understand God is using this for a greater good in my life, that this trial, no matter what it is, it has a purpose, well, it changes everything. Now, we need to understand that some trials are by our own making. When we choose to sin, we choose to walk in disobedience and we're, we choose to live a life not close to our Lord, God, out of his love, will send us a disciplinary trial. Why? It has a purpose. To purge the sin from our lives and to draw us again to a closer walk with him. Is that a good thing? Okay, if you don't think so, is that a good thing? Thank you. It's a good thing. Discipline's a good thing. When it draws us closer to our Lord. 
Imagine if he left us to walk in our sit, just do whatever we want. We can choose to. But he allows things into our life to draw us back to him. That's wonderful. I know me. I know what we, I can be left to myself. I'm thankful I have a heavenly father who loves me enough to want to draw me back to him. When I make mistakes, when I do dumb things, when I say dumb things, because he loves me enough. And other times, trials come into our lives to help us grow spiritually. Because God uses them to prepare us for something greater that he wants to do with our lives. God did a lot of things in my life to prepare me to leave. Listen, if you would have just told me I'm going to get on the plane with my family and go plant a church in another country, you lost your mind. But he allowed things to happen. He allowed things to come into my life to mold me and shape me, to train me, to teach me because he had a greater good in mind for me. And it's not just me. He does this for every single one of his children. We need to learn to embrace the trials. Oh, that sounds crazy. But it's what we need to do. Nobody loves trials. I understand that. I don't ever sit around when I'm not in a trial just going, you know, I'm a little bored. You know, I could use right now as a good trial. No, I'm sitting around lining up for a trial. But when they come, we begin to just look and pray and go, God, what do you want to teach me in this? If it's because I'm sinning, that I repent and I fall before him. And I allow that to be cleaned out of my life so I can walk closely with him. And if he's beginning to have a greater purpose, something more that he wants to do with me, what do you want to do? What do I need to learn right now from what you're trying to teach me through this? Because I know it's not for nothing. I know there's something you want to do. Show me. And that's awesome. How long is the trial? Nobody knows. Only God knows how long that trial is going to be. But here's the thing. If we're tested and tried the rest of our life, I know it sounds crazy, but put that in scope of eternity, is it that long? And if, if I have to endure things for the rest of my, I mean, in the scope of eternity, it's not that long. I mean, he loves you, he loves me, and he won't give us more than we can endure or for longer than we can handle. That's great news. He knows what we can handle and for how long we can handle it for. I mean, look what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4.17. Paul says that our affliction is light and momentary, 
and is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal way of glory. Now, if Paul can say affliction is light and momentary, guess what? So can we. I mean, look at the life of Paul. There's nobody, if somebody hears it, there's nobody here to say, you know what, I want to live the life Paul lived. I don't. I look at the things, and I'm like, no, I would like to avoid a few things Paul did. I don't want to be stoned and left for dead. And I know if I am stoned and left for dead, I'm not going back in the city that stoned me. Paul did, but I'm not. None of us are. So if Paul can write and say, listen, these things, they're light. They're momentary. But what it's producing, an eternal weight of glory, all right. And if that's what the Lord wants to do through your life, we let him do it. He has full control. He owns the rights to our life. James, let's flip over one book, James chapter 1. Verses 2 through 4. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Right? That's the first thing you're like, yes, I'm in a trial. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. It's interesting how many times we come across trials and joy at the same time. Typically, two things we're not going to put together, joy and trials. But they go hand in hand. But here's what we need to understand. Trials, trials can cause either growth or bitterness in the Christian life. Our response determines the result. It's how we respond to trials. They're going to come. Sorry. But how you respond determines the result. And here's the thing. This is what I've learned in my life. When I don't learn the lesson, guess what I get to do again? I get to go through it again. Till I learn my lesson. So I have great advice. Learn the lesson the first time. God wants to do something good. If we don't get it, he'll allow it to happen again till we get it. So how do you respond to trials and testing in your life? Honestly, if you're in a trial now, think of how you're responding to it. Is it with joy or bitterness? Or as you think about the trial, most of the time you end up frustrated. Or you resent it. You ever been in the trial and said, why me? I can think of other people who should be in this trial. What's the point? There's a bad question to ask in the trial. There's a point. God wants to do something amazing with your life. We rejoice because our joy is rooted in a living hope. And this is the thing. Our hope in Christ is independent of our circumstances. You understand? I mean, 
It's completely separate. Nothing can rob us of our joy. There's no circumstance that exists. Because it's rooted in Christ. Christ is still seated next to the Father. It doesn't matter what I go through. So I always have reason to rejoice. My future is settled. When I breathe my last here, I will be in his presence. It's settled. I can always rejoice about that in any circumstance. And so can you, as long as your eternity is settled. If you have Christ, that's what you have. As sure as the sun will rise tomorrow, <laughs> that's what we have. The testing we may endure is for what? What did it say? To prove the genuineness of our faith, which is more precious than gold to the praise and the honor and the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Your faith is more precious than refined gold. And we need to understand that trials are the proof of the genuineness or the reality of our faith. It's easy to say, I trust you, Lord, when all is well. Well, you know, that faith can be on display then. Oh, Lord, everything's so perfect. Thank you. I believe you. I'll do anything. But when our world is caving in all around us. That's when you cling to him all the tighter. And it's your faith in him that will carry you through. That will prove to be your genuine faith. When everything, you just say, I don't know what to do. And I'm hanging on to Jesus because I have nothing else. It's my faith in him because I know he will see me through it. For sure. And what is that? What's, what, what Peter's saying here is that through trials, our faith is purified. And as we continue to grow, just like the refining process of gold, we will reflect the character of our Lord and Savior Jesus. That's the work. That's the purifying that's being done. And don't you think that's exactly what our Heavenly Father desires to see. Our Heavenly Father desires to see Christ-likeness in all of His children. I mean, imagine if every child of God walked in the likeness of Christ daily, how we would impact this world. That's radical. Every day and every moment. For me, that means when I'm driving. Now, you don't live where I live, but a lot of you guys know I hate driving. Mostly because I have a terrible attitude. I'm honest. I know it's a lot of work to be done there. Imagine if I was driving in the likeness of my Savior. Whew. Or in any conversation that I have with somebody. Seizing every moment to love as Christ loved, to demonstrate mercy as Christ demonstrated mercy, to give grace as Christ so graciously pours out his grace upon me. 
to treat people tenderly and with kindness. You don't think that would radically change the world? If this is how every child of God walked? And it says here that our genuine faith will bring praise and honor and glory to Christ upon his return for us. And what that's going to demonstrate is that the various trials that we faced in life, that our faith was true and it was genuine. And this will be to the praise and the honor and the glory of our Savior. Verses 8 and 9, let's go ahead and read them and we'll finish up here. Whom having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible, and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. We have not seen our Savior face to face. But we have seen him through the eyes of faith. And we have so many reasons why we should love him. You know, I come to this verse 8, and I read, I go, Whom having I have not seen, I love. And because it's easy to say that we love someone. But when I begin to meditate on loving the Lord and what that all entails, what I end up finding is I'm more surprised that he loves me. And it becomes shocking because we know who we are. He knows us better than we know ourselves. And he loves us. And to say that we genuinely love him, we have so many reasons to love our Jesus, don't we? He's amazing. I mean, everything about him is wonderful. Read the Gospels. I mean, have you ever read a passage in the Gospel and you're like, well, I didn't really like that about Jesus? Have you, I mean, we never do, I mean, you read and you see his kindness and his compassion poured out to all, and it's that same compassion when we came to him, when we were saved, that he poured out upon us. He's wonderful. We love him. He's done more for us than any other person in our life has ever done for us. Have you ever thought about that? He's done more for us. He came. He died for us. He redeemed us. He rose again. He gave us eternal life. He's seated next to the Father. Is that all he's doing? No. He's interceding for us every moment now. What else has he done? He's preparing a place for us. That's really cool. Isn't it? Jesus, the master craftsman, is preparing a place for us. And what else? He's preparing a place. Why? Because he's coming back for us. 
He's going to come back for us. What? So, because he wants to take us to himself. Because he wants to bring us home. Who in this life has done more than your Jesus has done for you? And is continuing to do for you. And will do and see it through to completion in the end. That's what we have. How could we not love him? And, and it's so important that we understand that to know him is to love him. You have to know him. Do you know your Jesus? I mean, because here's the thing. The more we know him, the more we, what? Love him. It's like relationships we have here. The more time we spend with somebody, the more we love them, the more we want to be with them. Do you know your Savior? Do you know him? Do you want to know him better? Because to know him better will be to love him better. That's, this is what we have. How do we know him? It's by spending time with him. It's being in his word, not just reading casually, studying his word, meditating upon his word. It's spending time in prayer. It's a life under control of this, the Holy Spirit. It's a life walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's when we do that, we know him and we love him more. Peter says, even though you don't see him now, yet you believe will lead to rejoicing. And what else does he say? Joy inexpressible. Not cool, I like inexpressible because we ain't got a word for it. There's no word for the type of joy. When we know him and we love him, we will be overwhelmed with joy. And it will lead to rejoicing, which, guess what, is not going to be circumstantial. We'll always have reason to rejoice. And Peter brings this to a beautiful closing, going, right now you see him through the eyes of faith, which is more than enough reason to rejoice. But one day you will receive the end of your faith. See, he brings it back full circle of our glorious future. And he says, you will see him face to face. You know, it's cool. Peter did see him face to face. Peter knew. And there's almost a sense as like I read it that I just sense Peter going, I saw him. I walked with him. I knew him. I heard him. I saw everything I did. I saw his compassion. I saw his kindness. And it was amazing. Wait and see. Wait and see. You have no idea how amazing Jesus is. You love him. You haven't seen him. You love him. But wait. Wait till he gives you that new body and you see him face to face. You think you're rejoicing now? Wait till we're in glory. You think you praise him now? Wait till we sing with the millions of saints the songs and the praises to our Lord and Savior. Wait and see. Have you a reason to rejoice? I'm going to say yes. 
we always have a reason to rejoice. It's the day we live for, isn't it? The day that we'll finally see our loving Savior face to face. And you know, I just, I want to encourage you. Take time and reflect on all these things. And, just, and this isn't even all. I mean, I just gave us seven verses. But in these things that we have in Christ, reflect on them. And that joy and rejoicing mark our lives, whether we're in a trial or not. I mean, these should be marks of the believer. We, we should be the happiest people at all times. Because we have things, set, our eternity is settled. That the joy and rejoicing mark our lives. Because one day we will see him and be with him for all eternity. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up. I think that's what I'm supposed to do. Yeah? I didn't talk to Jason completely yet, so I'm assuming that we're going to end with a song. Perfect. <laughs> but if you guys are here tonight, I, I mean, first, my heart is that you've been encouraged. Looking at this, that it's just encouraging, understanding what we have. We have a living hope. We have an inheritance. We have a loving, living Savior that you're encouraged. But maybe you're here tonight and you're like, man, Janie, I'm not going to lie. My eyes have kind of been set on my circumstances. Got a lot of situations, a lot of things, and you know what? I've lost sight of the abundant mercy of my God. I've lost sight of my inheritance. I've lost sight of, of my living hope. Or maybe you're even sitting here going, you know what, even my love's grown a little cold. But man, I realize there's nothing greater that, that I, I have a glorious future to come. Lay it before him tonight. Lay it before him tonight. Revive the joy in your heart so that when you leave here tonight, you leave rejoicing. Amen? Father, thank you for this passage. Father, thank you for the, the fact that we always have reason to rejoice. That we always have reason to give you glory and honor and praise. Father, we thank you for your abundant mercy, mercy and love towards us. This is not a love or mercy we deserve, but you pour it out upon us. And Father, that you have reserved for us an inheritance, that you have prepared for us a place. And Lord, we know you're coming for us one day. And we will spend eternity in your presence in perfection. There's nothing greater. Father, help us to take our eyes off of 
our circumstances or our situations. And Lord, that we just fix them upon you. And that we set our hearts and our minds upon you. And that joy marks our daily life. And we ask this in your precious name. Amen.